Addiction is a health problem of the individual, but a disease of the family system. Through strengthening this system, we can help people build a more lasting recovery. On this episode of Through the Trees, I sit down with Alyssa Dreyer and Kimberly Thompson, directors of the Cedar Family Program. Offered twice each month, the Family Program 5-Day Workshop is one of the staples of the Cedar treatment experience, helping countless family members recover from addiction over the last decade. Addiction treatment healthcare is vast territory, much of it having yet to be fully charted. It also is a field with some of the most passionate and interesting of clinicians. Each week, we walk the addiction treatment trails, learning from experts of all backgrounds and specialties. My name is Pat Failing, and I'm an addiction psychiatrist for CEDAR in the University of Colorado. You're listening to Through the Trees, the CEDAR Addiction Treatment Podcast. So today on our program, I'm joined by uh, some of the, our directors of the CEDAR Family Program, uh, Alyssa Dreyer and Kimberly Thompson. They're involved in the educational and the guidance curriculum that we have at CEDAR for family members of patients we treat. Happy to have you guys on our show today. Thank you. Thank you. Family support seems to be incredibly powerful for our goal of trying to get good outcomes. So trying to help people really change their life and, uh, and really succeed. I think that's what everybody wants. So we do a lot of work with trying to help uh, these family members. Can we talk a little bit about overall how our CEDAR family program works? Our family program is based on a five-day family process where we invite families in for five days. We run two of these programs per month, and each of the five days is set up to educate and walk a family through the process of understanding addiction, clearing up some of the family confusion around addiction, and really having a good, solid knowledge base of where to go from here. So the program is set up Monday through Friday from about nine to four each day. The family members come in Monday through Wednesday and are with another group of family members only. So their loved one is actually not invited into the program until Thursday. And the the curriculum starts Monday by overviewing addiction as a disease and really scratching the surface of that and looking at what what is addiction, why do we call it a disease, and what does early recovery look like for a patient going through this process. When we move over to Tuesday, we actually shift gears and start to look at the family as a whole. How is family impacted by addiction? How is the family impacted by trauma? And we start to have the discussion around what is spirituality and how how does that impact recovery? It's not just with clinicians. They're actually interacting with a lot of other families. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. How, How does that tend to go? That must be a very powerful experience for some of these family members. Absolutely, because I think that the disease of addiction is very isolating, uh, not just for the person who struggles uh, with addiction, but it's very isolating for family members. So when they come to Family Week and that they see other family members who've had very similar struggles, it, it helps them to not feel so alone. And then there's a, a camaraderie that's kind of built throughout the week. Uh, they come in as strangers, and then by Friday, 
Uh, they're giving each other their emails and their numbers and kind of seeking support from each other. So it, it's probably uh, quite comforting that uh, their situation isn't unique. There's exactly. uh, plenty of other families that are walking mm -hmm. the same roads and trying to be helpful. Absolutely. So when, when these families start out, um, they must have a whole collection of very early questions that they, they want to get answered, I guess. What, what do you tend to see? I think one of the biggest things I see is, what am I supposed to do now? Uh, when a person has been sent to theater, the family is oftentimes left on the outside wondering, what do I do now? What is my role? Uh, where should I go from here? Do I need to be doing something different than I'm doing right now? And so that is probably one of the biggest questions that I get is, what do I do now? Right, and I think too, a lot of our family members kind of walk on eggshells around um, their loved one, and a lot of questions is, what do I say? What do I not say? General things like that, like, well, if I say this, are they going to get upset and maybe relapse or leave treatment or... So, so pretty strong emotions of these family members, uh, like the whole spectrum of emotions, or what? Absolutely. I would uh, say so. You know, I think that on the front end of treatment, we oftentimes see a lot of anger, frustration, resentment, uh, helplessness, hopelessness, confusion, fear, fear, lots of fear. Yeah. So almost Guilt. it's like a like kind of starting in fear, and then people. It all has to do with how they respond to their own fear. I guess some people get very angry, some people get very cautious. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you see that every week. Yeah, absolutely. The family members have been with their loved ones for years and years trying to help them get better. And oftentimes when they come to us, it's almost a last-ditch effort. And they're, they're really um, kind of throwing their last bit of energy at at this treatment process, and I think that um, that comes with a lot of exhaustion as well and mm -hmm. overwhelm. Yeah. In family week, in the, the process of the five days, is they're getting to connect with other family members in a psychoeducational setting. So they're interacting not just with a clinician, but they're interacting with other family members. Um, they're interacting with the person in family week who's doing um, the lecture. Oftentimes, I also see that having a five-day program allows people to really explore deeply the emotions, the uh, feelings, the questions that may be coming up for them, and they don't have to pack it away after an hour session. So whereas family therapy mm -hmm. is oftentimes um, condensed into a shorter time frame, the five days of almost eight hours a day allows them to not only fall apart a little bit, but ask the questions, have the anxieties, have all these feelings, and be able to actually... Um, slowly put themselves back together over the course of the five days before they actually re-enter life. So quite a bit more intense. Mm -hmm. So many hours, I mean, we're talking, how, how many hours a day are we talking? This is six hours or eight hours? Nine to four, right. Okay. Seven hours, right. And for, and for this five-day stretch, very different than typical family therapy where there's like uh, even assignments in between sessions. Mm -hmm. We're talking about one hour every week, every couple of weeks, so more longitudinal, long-term, but quite a bit less intense. This is short-term, high-intensity. Right, and lots of different topics that are presented, so it's um, 
you know, we talk about the why this is a disease. We talk about trauma. We also talk about shame, um, boundaries, enabling. So there's a lot of topics that are um, discussed throughout the week. Um, rather, usually one family session is usually focused on maybe one topic or one incident or one issue. Whereas in family week, there's a lot of different um, topics brought to the table. So it's kind of setting the stage, I guess. I know you, you use the word psychoeducational, and that makes sense. Uh, very A little bit different than kind of working through things. This is a little bit of trying to identify issues and put the issues on the table that a family could work on this in a therapeutic way for the upcoming year. Right, I guess. right. And it's also really uh, allowing a a program like ours to sift through all of the information that's provided on on the web, on in books, um, in classes, that families oftentimes are trying to scrap together and figure out what is the best information for me to get to read, what are the best actions for me to do, and we do that for them with this program, and we put the most up-to-date information, very, very, uh, you know, well-researched kind of directed information in a way that is really understandable and allows for the process and questions to be asked during it. Well, and the other thing, too, in that is the information our families receive is very similar to the information our patients receive. So it kind of sets a foundation for having somewhat of a common language to use around the topics presented, around some of the information that the, our patients and our families are getting similar information. Sure. So uh, uh, functioning almost as like a treatment adjunct right. to all the time that their loved ones are spending working on getting healthy. That's right. So you must see families that uh, things go really quite smoothly and sometimes not. Can you comment on this a little bit? What do you What do you notice? I definitely see that families that have a bit more education about the addiction process and how the family member in and of themselves can help, uh, the process goes a lot smoother. Um, isolation can be a huge issue, as Kim said earlier, and the more a family's isolated away from uh, being able to ask questions, being able to get information and education, the rockier their, their process seems to be. So being able to actually ask for help get help and receive information uh, really can change a process from being very rocky to very smooth. Because of their struggle that their family's been dealing with, they need a, almost a little bit of a boost of being able to socialize mm -hmm. and being able to bond well with other families. That Not all that different than our patients, right. they need a boost mm -hmm. in being able to form good bonds yeah. with people. They're very maybe even really out of practice. Mm -hmm. And while I think addiction has become a lot more mainstream as a topic, I still think that there's a lot of family shame that surrounds addiction. And, you know, the conversation, we still find many, many families who have not had the conversation about addiction being in their family, whether it be with friends, whether it be with coworkers, whether it be with their own family. Um, and so really breaking that, that silence and starting to have uh, people to talk to about it is, is essential. That's a, I think that's a pretty powerful topic. What, how would you describe shame, or how, how do we talk about it in our family program? I think for a lot of our families, um, 
they think that they're the cause for their loved ones struggling with addiction. Um, especially for our parents who have children who are here in treatment, it's maybe if I had disciplined differently or maybe if I had done this different as a parent, um, they wouldn't be trapped by this disease. They're, so, they're second-guessing how they raise oh, their, their kids. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, and there's a sense of, I want to find someone or something to blame, and I think a lot of the, the what our families do is they blame themselves first. Our families feel a lot of shame around that. I think they're concerned of us at Cedar pointing the fingers at them, that they're the ones that have caused this. I think a lot of our families still feel the stigma, kind of like Alyssa was talking about, about this disease, and so... Um, they fear judgment from from professionals, from their neighbors, from extended family members. We have a whole lecture um, specifically around this topic topic because it really hits home. And I think our families also identify the shame in their loved one. Do you ever find families that almost like they're very hesitant to let go of their shame. They, they want to hold on to it. They're, this kind of uh, the self-criticism for the, the uh, where things went wrong, they really, they're not ready to let that go yet. Right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we see quite often is this, it, we have a culture of if you just put your mind to it, you can figure it out, you can do it, you can fix it. Right. And when a family mm-hmm. member is starting to feel like they don't know how to fix it, you know, our culture says double down, try harder. And so that ability to surrender to I cannot fix this disease for my loved one or for my family uh, is a hard one to let go of because what's left in the in the wake, what's left when you let go of that role that you're playing mm-hmm. as the person that's trying to fix this disease in your family. And that's, you know, what's left is a lot of grief. What's mm-hmm. left is a lot of... Uh, sadness and fear and and unknown, which is a hard place to sit. So yeah, I think that there are a lot of our families who have a hard time letting go of that. So it's very common for the patients we see in treatment to be struggling with change. They might be resistant to change or hesitant. Uh, I'm sure families are as well. They're resistant or hesitant to change. Do you think we can still make a difference for these family members? Let, let's say if they have a spouse who is receiving alcohol treatment or alcoholism treatment and that spouse isn't really on board, can we still help the family or how, how would we go about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that there any member of the family that can start a road to recovery for themselves, uh, it will help every other member of the family in the long run. We talk during family week a lot about how similar the symptoms of the disease of addiction are, not only for the person that's you know, struggling with alcoholism or drug addiction themselves, but also for the family members, we see a lot of crossover of symptomology, uh, whether that be the biological symptoms, uh, weakness, tired, uh, sleeplessness, sleepiness, I could go on and on. Um, But we we run through biologically, psychologically, socially, spiritually, and relationally how family members are affected by this disease. And 
they become almost mirrored to the patient themselves. And so our goal in Family Week and with families is to help them see that they can heal from those those symptoms as well as a person seeking treatment here for substance use. And the more that a person, a family member, can heal those uh, those symptoms, those things that this addiction and this disease is, is causing within the family, uh, they actually can start modeling health within the family system. And I also think that, <clears throat> you know, knowledge is power, but also having um, some insight and self-awareness. I think a lot of our families come in and don't realize the depth of how this disease has impacted them personally. Every family member, whether you're a spouse, a parent, a sibling, that every family member that we've had come to Family Week has identified their own individual way that they've been impacted by their loved one's disease. We also talk a lot about separating our loved one from their disease and starting to learn how to love your loved one and fight the disease because the disease likes to kind of muddy that water and we oftentimes as family members find ourselves loving the disease and fighting our loved one. So really having some clarity and separating those two can be really powerful in the fight against addiction. So when you say loving the disease, you mean uh, like kind of caught up in a pattern or like a familiar pattern or familiar dynamic? Absolutely. uh, uh, Give us an example. Where the family members aren't um, talking. Um, There's no communication about what's going on. One of the things that we tell family members is a lot of times when addiction is in a family, it's a don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. And the disease thrives with everybody being silent and not talking about what's really going on. And so to be able to kind of break that pattern and actually um, start talking about it is defeating the disease. Yeah, the hidden components. We have pretty heavy drinker patients that have alcohol hidden in their golf bag. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just the same as we have discussions that get, quote, hidden in the golf bag, too. <laughs> exactly. They, uh, they just get buried. Or all the, Kind of the necessary conversations that probably need to happen just never seem to happen. Right. They just get swept under the rug or it goes on forever. So I, is this something that, uh, that you guys really try to promote in our family program, trying to get the discussion going? Right, absolutely. And we even, on Thursday, the day we where the, the patient and the family members are together, we talk about how to have safe communication around addiction and recovery, what to do when a conversation comes up and somebody's activated, Um, some good um, communication tools of, we haven't talked about addiction and what's really been going on for a long time, now we're going to start talking about it, but how can we start talking about it in a safe way and introduce new new tools of how to have these discussions? Because I think a lot of our families, again, we they've walked on eggshells, so they haven't known how to bring something up, how to ask those questions, and we actually give them the tools to do that. So in it, like a very effective communication rather than just, I don't know, aggressive communication or non-communication or passive or passive-aggressive, passive I guess. Right. I'm sure, I'm sure all the we have families that are falling into all these patterns 
I really like, uh, Alyssa, your concept of the mirroring in that the family members seem to be experiencing quite similar dynamics as probably what the patient is. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that if we can help shed light on that, that you could actually build empathy Mm -hmm. in the family system? Absolutely. And that's one of the biggest shifts of emotion we see over the course of the five days is that anger into empathy, that hopelessness into hopefulness. And really starting by the end of Thursday, we're really pounding home the message that this this loved one is not doing this to the family, that this disease has done this to our family. And to really encourage families to stop fighting each other and actually band together to start fighting the disease. And that they have a lot to, not only does the family have a lot to learn from the patient, but that the patient can have a lot to learn from the family as well. CEDAR, the Center for Dependency, Addiction, and Rehabilitation. Advanced treatment for alcoholism and drug addiction. We combine science and support. To learn more, visit cedarcolorado.org. So let's assume we have a family and a patient that has made a lot of progress. And they've made progress in the realm of acceptance for their disease process and uh, engagement. So kind of an ideal scenario. What kinds of recommendations do you tend to be giving to these families when they're moving on to their next steps? I think one of the biggest ones that we recommend is the fam- each family member starting their own uh, therapy process and starting to build a sober, positive support network for themselves. Uh, so we encourage them to find a support group that fits them, whether that be Al-Anon or Naranon or many of the other styles of support group that are out there, uh, and then also encourage them to start working with their own therapist so that they can really start that healing process for themselves. Right. And if the family identifies they need deeper work, we can refer to uh, family therapists uh, in the area as well as couples therapists. And then for kids, we refer to the Betty Ford Children's Program. Okay, which is a, an educational or supportive program? Yes, for around... kids 7 to 12 who've been impacted by a loved one's addiction. So once again, we have this kind of parallel process going on. We're trying to help patients and, and help them understand. We're trying to help families, and then we're trying to help uh, kids in the family system, too. Yes. So I, I imagine it's probably a, a little bit mm-hmm. of a surprise uh We have family members, this could be a spouse, a parent, somebody, they come into treatment, and our main recommendation for the family is that they find their own individual therapist Mm -hmm. to get something going for themselves. How how does that tend to be received by people? That really depends on the family. Uh, Some family members are really waiting for somebody to ask, how are you doing, and are really relieved when we acknowledge that they've been through a process as well. Um, other family members are saying, you want me to do what and why? Um, the reality is that oftentimes family members can become so focused on the problem being the person who has the disease of addiction themselves um, that it can be hard to transfer that idea that they've been impacted as well. What we find is that 
as a person who is is struggling with the disease of addiction themselves starts to get better, that the family members start to find that they're in need of some additional support and resources. Yeah, I think a lot of times too our families are, some families are surprised when they learn that their loved one isn't um, healed in 30 days, that this is an ongoing process. Sometimes a lot of our families are like, oh, I had no idea. This is kind of a a lifelong process. And so I think once they kind of learn that, they're a little more open to, oh, so that if this is kind of a, a process for my loved one, this might, this is probably a process for me. And they're a little more open to um, seeking uh, individual therapy or couples therapy. Some of this, I, I imagine, is probably uh, quite connected. So families that are scoring higher on empathy for their loved ones those are probably people much more open-minded to seek their own supportive <clears throat> counseling. Mm-hmm. And the, the inverse is probably true as well. Uh, families that are highly defended, uh, aggressive, critical, angry, you might he- be hearing something more like, why do I have to go do that? Yes. <laughs> this is my wife's problem. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're, they're quite upset. Yeah. Those are the ones that are hard to reach. But we don't give up reaching them. If you were to uh, give some even guidance for even things to read or reading materials for families, uh, what would be some good options? Yeah, one of the first ones that comes to mind is a book called Addict in the Family, Stories of Lost Hope and Recovery. It's by Beverly Conyers. Uh, it's a, I think it's a really great book because it allows um, for different, multiple different stories to be told uh, that really end in multiple different ways, and um, it can it can be nice for families really just to start to realize before they've come to Family Week or after that they're still not alone, and a lot of families have been through this, and there is hope. I also encourage Codependent No More. That's by Melody Beatty. And that is just a fantastic book to start to look at the patterns of behavior that oftentimes come along with addiction in a family. And then another book, um, if there are children that are part of the family system, Addiction Through a Child's Eyes by Jerry Moe is also a really fabulous book to um, get a glimpse of the experience it is for kids. I know that uh, Alyssa, Kimberly, uh, you guys are clinicians. Can you comment at all on the specific uh, patients or families that are the most difficult for you to reach or the most difficult for you to work with? Yeah, absolutely. One of the most difficult for me is the ones that don't engage. They don't uh, want to be called. They don't want to hear what is going on with the person's treatment, the education. They don't don't want to come to family week. Uh, those are the hard, I believe the hardest ones to reach because you know what we have in our head stays in our head and, and if we don't jump out of our head sometimes and, and seek some alternate understanding, education, opinions, we're going to stay right where we're at. So those are probably the biggest families that are hardest for me to reach or to reach or the ones that really don't want to engage. I wonder if those are the kind of uh, we call like the fix-it families, like the uh, their spouse they sent away their spouse to rehab and expected the spouse to come home fixed, mm-hmm. expected the son to be fixed. I don't know if they fully appreciate the hard work that they have 
to put in. Absolutely. I think those are one type of family that we see this happen with. Another type of family we see it happen with is family members that don't particularly trust the medical system. Mm -hmm. Their loved one may have been through multiple treatment programs before. Uh, They may have been to different psychiatrists or different doctors, and um, they have some mistrust of the medical system in and of itself. So you're you're fighting an uphill battle Right. right from the start. And, I, and we, we see patients all the time experiencing the, the exact same kinds of things, uh, hesitant to even build a good working relationship. Uh, so I guess that's problem number one, is just getting a working relationship going. Yeah, yeah I think the other difficult uh, family to work with is the, the family that asks for help and asks for suggestions, asks for you know, what are some of the next steps we need to take? And then when we do offer those suggestions and we do um, um, offer resources and those kinds of things, and then it's then it's rejected. Well, I can't do that because, or that's not going to work. Those kinds of things, I think, sometimes can be frustrating because we do want to help. And from our experience, we, we've seen what does help. Something can help one family, and maybe it'll be different for the other family, but we have so many different ideas and um, creative ways to think outside of the box of, okay, how we can move forward. So this is kind of an age-old therapist's dilemma of the, we call the help-rejecting complainer. So somebody who is repeatedly seeking something and then uh, systematically shooting down uh, the avenues that you might present to them. Right. And then I, I wonder, is that uh, connected to one of our, our topics today of the mirroring? I wonder if that plays out within the family system itself, this mm-hmm. concept of uh, help rejection. Right. Well, and I think sometimes that's kind of sometimes fueled by some level of denial that it's really, it's not that bad. Maybe the this isn't this as bad as we think it is, or um, kind of utilizing some of those defense mechanisms of. Oh, one of those defenses that we see often is this idea of being in control and the fear of not being in control that we see mirrored between families and patients and becomes really just a passed down message over multiple generations pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you can do this on your own. Um, All of those different types of messages can come out in a very uh, similar way between the patients and the family, and one of those is the help-rejecting kind of dynamic that comes out with clinicians, with other people outside of the family system, that, you know, I might be able to get help from my mom, but I am definitely going to reject help from anybody outside of the system itself. Kind of like a learned helplessness, like, I'm going to ask for the help, but it, it doesn't. Like paying lip service right. to it? Right. I mean, most people know. I mean, you're you, you're in a big health center, and we're here to be helpful. So most people will, I guess, yeah, quote, pay it lip service and ask for our guidance. Right. Are they all that interested in the guidance? It depends. Right. Some people really very authentically are, and some people are quite hesitant. So it's probably difficult to work with that because we we only have a, a narrow range of time. A lot of that stuff, I imagine, would play out over a very long period of time. 
One of the other families that I can find a little bit challenging to work with is a family that expects perfection out of our system and the reality that, you know, no no health system is perfect, but that uh, we can actually use the imperfections to uh, grow a stronger recovery resolve within a family. And so being able to understand that we are all human beings that work here at Cedar and, and while we do our best and I think we provide amazing treatment to both patients and families, that uh, you know those imperfections can actually be um, amazing gifts within the system. I'm sure they're doing that with their family member, too. Right. Like uh, standards of perfection, mm-hmm. um, expecting them to fail, watching for the other the other shoe to drop. Interesting. So there, there seems to be some core themes today on our radio show of what we're talking about, this concept of parallel process. So what's going on within the family system and then how that gets played out with us as helpers or as clinicians trying to make a difference. It's our job to draw attention to some of those patterns and to see if we could, we could shed some light on that. We've talked a lot about the concept of the psychoeducational starting of getting family members to the Cedar Family Program to set the stage for an overall family recovery so that each family member can do their own individual therapy and their own healing And then a lot of that, once again, connects to themes of empathy. And building trust with, uh, you know, all sides. There's so much broken trust within the disease of addiction that being able to have that theme of trust within the system is, and and at least growing and having the conversation about how to build the trust, because trust really does take time. It does. Well, very good. This has been our, our radio show for today, the Cedar Podcast Series joined by Alyssa Dreyer and Kimberly Thompson, uh, who run our family program. It's an educational workshop that lasts for five days. Is this available to the general community? Do you need to have involvement with CEDAR, or can somebody who's just listening to our radio show and interested in in, uh, gaining some knowledge, can they be involved? Absolutely. Anyone from our community, uh, if they're loved one is involved in another program, they can still attend and that person can come on that Thursday. If their loved one's um, been sober for a while, more than 30 days, they can come on that Thursday. So you're talking about some of the the integration, the family integration work, because I know the the first few days are just the family. It's not the addicted individual. Right. And if a family member would like to come to our program and their loved one is still active in their disease, we welcome them to attend as well. For our families who have a loved one here at Cedar, they don't have to attend while their loved one is at Cedar. So they can attend a few months from now. They can they have up to a year to attend. So yeah, actually, yeah, they can attend at any time. It doesn't have to be a year. So the program, it sounds like it's quite flexible, and the goal is to just get families talking in the right way, I guess, talking about the things that need to be talked about, Mm -hmm. about health and recovery and kind of what this all means. This is really to share recovery with families as a whole and not just have that recovery process happen for one person, but be able to provide health and healing for the entire family system. Well, this has been very informative. 
and very good. Our, the Cedar Family Program is quite strong. I think this is one of the strongest elements that we have in part of our whole health center, and it really offers a lot of families that they all kind of make efforts and make changes to heal together. They get very good outcomes. And the end, the flip side is also true. Families where there's a lot of resistance, a lot of patterns, uh, a lot of parallel patterns, they have a harder goal of it. So it's our job to draw attention to some of this and try to make a difference. Do you guys, uh, any final thoughts from My biggest today? thought is if anybody is, is, has multiple questions, um, is seeking answers, is seeking healing themselves, please reach out to us. Okay. We're here to help. We're here uh, to provide resources for you, whether it end up being Cedar Family Week or other things that are available. We're here to help. Okay. Thank you very much for joining us on our radio show today. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Through the Trees, the Cedar Addiction Treatment Podcast. Please visit cedarcolorado.org for a wide array of educational content about the disease of addiction and the science of recovery. If you or a loved one are considering Cedar and the University of Colorado Hospital for treatment, please speak with our admissions team at 720-848- 3000. CEDAR, the Center for Dependency, Addiction, and Rehabilitation, helping people build a life of recovery.